Well, now this is a really good question that came in from Maria Torok, 364. I think I say that a lot when I ask these questions. Hey, this is a great question. There are a lot of really good questions that come in uh, on our YouTube channel, on our comments section. I also get some emails at info at Calvary Chapel Franklin. Uh, and these are just good, thought-provoking things and, and good topics to cover. So we're going to take one of them today. Again, a really good one from Maria Torok, 364. Uh, God bless you. Well, God bless you as well. Um, there is a video on YouTube about Mystery Babylon, and this person is saying that Revelation 18 is about America. What is your view about this? Well, I will tell you there is more than one. There is a couple, two, three, many, many videos really about Revelation 18 and Babylon referring to America. And uh, and on the one hand, it's certainly not hard to see America's fitting the description that is given uh, to uh, Mystery Babylon, the harlot, the mother of harlots and such, as, as referred to in chapter 17. Um, but is America specifically in view in that passage? Uh, well, as always, we want to let the scripture dictate uh, or answer our understanding, drive the conversation and such. So let me, as sort of a preliminary thing, invite you to read chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation. As a matter of fact, feel free to stop the video, go read it, and then come back if you want. But in any case, make sure you do read those two chapters. Uh, I would even say you know, up to and including chapter 19 and the return of Christ in that. But chapters 17 and 18 do deal specifically with the ascension of Babylon and its decline, its fall, uh, and then the resulting uh, uh, rejoicing in heaven over the, the fall of Babylon and that. So let me, uh, uh, again, I'll invite you to read those two chapters, but let me summarize a few things here and just kind of make my way through a few uh, key points here. Uh, starting in chapter 17, let me just read a little bit here. And give some commentary. Uh, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. Now, this is one of the seven angels who previously was uh, was busy about the business of pouring out a bowl of wrath upon the earth in the previous chapter, and uh, two chapters, really. And so we are, well, uh, chapter 16, really, we see a prelude in chapter 15. Um, but one of those angels is now also uh, speaking to John. He says, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, the waters often uh, speak to the idea of the nations of the world, the people of the world and that. So what seems to be in view here, uh, and I think is in view, is that this great harlot, whoever she is, has global influence, influence over the peoples of the earth. In other words, far-reaching influence. And what of that influence? Well, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Fornication speaks of all kinds of sexual immorality in that. However, clearly the context here, at least in part, has to do with the spiritual fornication. The idea of, um, uh, and I say in part because oftentimes religious types of fornication also include physical kinds of fornication in that as part of their uh, really just kind of uh, horrific uh, worship, quote-unquote, uh, practices. But fundamentally, though, I think what is in view here is the spiritual influence uh, away from leading those away from God or any any real relationship with him to rather instead be part of this global religious system, which we do see really emerge back in chapter 13 with the rise of the beast or Antichrist and the false prophet, uh, the second beast, who ultimately um, brings the people of the world together to create an image of the Antichrist or of the first beast that everyone is required to worship and to take a mark on the right hand or forehead, uh, both in terms of religious, uh, 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 you know, uh, allegiance to the, the Antichrist, but also you need this mark in order to buy or sell in this globalized economic system. 
So within that framework of chapter 13, we see really three areas in particular that are uh, brought to the fore as far as the Antichrist's influence. You have uh, political, you have economic, and you have religious. So um, the uh, the beast, by the way, that uh, uh, ultimately we will find this harlot riding on uh, is in fact the Antichrist. The beast uh, that is spoken of um, in, in Revelation chapter 13 is the same imagery that we see in Daniel chapter 7. So to add to your reading, you'll want to read Daniel 7 and, and Revelation 13, maybe even Revelation 13 first, and then go back and see how the imagery is actually explained in Daniel chapter 7. So uh, this beast uh, is really the sort of uh, crescendo or culmination of all of the previous attempts at global, uh, or at least the, the, the ones that are mentioned, the global uh, attempts at global governance, that the Antichrist ultimately becomes the full realization of. And so, that being said, this mystery harlot is riding on the beast. And so, uh, this, in other words, the beast is influenced by this and ultimately provides further um, influence or being carried further by, uh, um, uh, by the Antichrist. So there is this sort of cooperation between, uh, between uh, both this, this harlot and also the beast. And this is the picture that is painted, again, when we bring together Revelation 13, 17, 18, uh, and begin to uh, paint this picture. So as the Revelation 17 continues to go on, um, uh, John is carried away, verse 3, into the, uh, in the spirit, into the wilderness, and he saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names and blasphemy, again, which we're just describing, having seven heads and ten horns. Um, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So here she is prominently um, um, celebrating the, the death and destruction of those who have uh, put their faith in Christ during the tribulation period. This entire period we're reading about here is taking place between chapters 6 and 19 when Christ returns ultimately with the saints who were raptured away prior to chapter 6. Uh, in my view, is a pre-tribulational perspective. Um, and and those saints, or those who become saints, set apart to God during the tribulation period, uh, some are overcome, uh, and, and as we see later on, beheaded, actually, uh, for their faith. Um, so this is, this is sort of a quick thumbnail sketch of what is going on at this particular period of time that is really drawing near the end of the tribulation period and the, and the return of Christ. The Antichrist, by this point, has come to power. Some of that is what is is in view here in these chapters. Um, ultimately, the uh, the spirit that uh, you know the um, uh, the influence uh, upon him is uh, one that is being again carried throughout the entire uh, global population during this period of time. It's a very very dark dark time, and this, of course, uh, well, let me just continue to to uh, bring some understanding to identifying who this is. Um, uh, in regard to, in regard to the beast, uh, let me go ahead and invite you to look with me at verses nine and 10. Uh, here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. 
there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, and one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Uh, And it goes on to continue to describe the beast in that. But let me just point to these seven mountains. Um, this, This now begins to give at least some clues as to who this might be. Um, there, I should say at this point, it's probably not a bad point to bring this in, that Babylon itself is a term that does not just appear in the book of Revelation. It does not just appear throughout uh, some of the prophets, of course, in regard to the southern two tribes and their Babylonian captivity. Uh, Daniel, as a matter of fact, we've spoken of him already a couple times. Daniel is in uh, is what's known as an exilic prophet. He speaks while in the Babylonian captivity uh, in that. But, um, but Babylon is not just mentioned there. Babylon is also mentioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 10. This is important for us to, 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 to include here. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 10. This is what's known as the Table of Nations. And when we get down to uh, the sons of Ham... Uh, we see that there is a son of Ham known as Cush, and Cush begets, in verse 8, someone named Nimrod. Okay, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, not like I don't know who he is, but Nimrod is someone who becomes known as a great hunter before the Lord in that. But Nimrod goes on, as it says here in verse 10 of chapter 10, the beginning of his kingdom, Nimrod's kingdom, was Babel. Uh, also Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh and so on. But notice here Babel in, in, in verse 10. If you go to chapter 11, we see that in Babel, there is a tower built, uh, or in this area of Shinar, a tower is built that is called Babel. This tower is built among the, the peoples of the earth at that time in order to build a tower that reaches into the heavens that they might sit amongst the gods, or, or uh, as it were. And so um, this whole idea of Babel, or what later would become known as Babylon, uh, is, is a very prominent uh, element of the biblical narrative, because as we will see, what begins here at Babel, and the idea of bringing together the world under one banner, ultimately in rebellion against God, we see that culminate at the end of the story in Revelation chapters 17 uh, and 18, uh, and of course culminate with the the fall of Babylon. So this is a story that's been going on from the very beginning. After the flood, as the nations begin to coalesce and God scatters them because of this rebellion, uh, again as mentioned here in chapter 10 and 11, uh, chapter 11 specifically. So uh, just to kind of fill that out a little bit. Now, Mystery Babylon. Uh, is generally thought to potentially be one of a number of possibilities. Uh, One, simply put, would be the rebuilding of the actual Babylon, the idea of a rebuilding of that center uh, that the world ultimately gathered around in Genesis 10 and would one day again, through commerce and religion and, uh, and politics, ultimately center around once again at the end of the story. That is a possibility. Uh, it's it's not it's it's not as popular as it once was. I think there was a time when when uh, it was a, a very dominant view that this was going to happen, and I'm not totally discounting the possibility. Uh, but there are other possibilities as well. I will add to that, by the way, that um, uh, Simiranus, Simiramis, Simiramis, Simiranus, uh, the wife of Nimrod. Uh, uh, there is history that that seems to indicate that she began a a sort of spiritual religious cult kind of thing called Babylon Mysteries. 
at that time. And so uh, there's, there's, you know, seems to be a connection from that point as well. Uh, you can certainly research that some more if you'd like. But the idea here is that Babylon is a place from which this whole idea of global unity and rebellion against God ultimately had its starting point. Uh, you could argue all the way back in the garden with Satan's initial uh, deceiving of of, uh, of Eve and, and the fall of man, um, that this really began sort of the uh, seeking to rebel against God. Clearly that is. But in terms of a global population coming together, global at not around the whole world at the time of Genesis 10, but of those, all of the people of the world essentially coming together to, um, to elevate themselves in rebellion against God. This, this really goes all the way back. And, and it would make sense that what started there in Genesis may actually end up very much exactly like it did in, in Genesis 10 in the beginning. So that is one possibility. Um, another is, uh, that Babylon, uh, may actually, spiritually speaking, refer to Rome because of the seven mountains that Rome sits upon, or that the Vatican in particular is in view often in this in this perspective. Uh, do the seven mountains uh, indicate Rome and even more specifically uh, the Vatican? Uh, it would not be hard to make an argument for this if you consider the Vatican's influence around the world. Of course, Catholicism uh, claiming to be the mother church, however, having a different gospel and and and, and frighteningly one that is remarkably close to the true gospel in many respects, but yet does not hold to the idea of by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, it is, in fact, uh, a meritorious system where our merits contribute uh, to the merits of Christ, and ultimately we play a part in our own salvation through that uh, system. Uh, it is very dangerous because it is, in many respects, again, something that sounds a lot like the actual biblical gospel, but it is fundamentally different. And I think if we're going to be honest, we have to spe- we have to make that point. Um, uh, it, it is, it is not the same gospel. Uh, and so that being said, could that be what's in view here with Babylon? Um, well, uh, it does seem that in, in Revelation chapter 18, again, uh, to go back there, that verse 10 tells, sort of connects the idea of these seven mountains with seven Kings. So these seven mountains would seem if in fact, verse 10 is further explaining verse nine, which to me it makes sense that it would be, then you're talking about potentially seven governments or maybe seven other nations. Um, seven also uh, is is a number that speaks of completion oftentimes. And so there may be some sense in which um, there is this idea of a pervasive kind of influence um, uh, uh, that is ultimately, uh, as the woman sits on these mountains, that she may just have complete influence over the world. Or it may be, as I think, uh, especially as the passage reads on, and there comes a point when these kings give their uh, power to the Antichrist, it may speak of just those seven kings particularly, or again, it may be sort of opening things up more broadly to speak of the complete governments of the world handing over their power. I think an argument could be made for both. I tend to think it's seven particular kings who have not yet received their power. Again, if we read the text for what it says, it seems to be that um, that uh, we're speaking of seven particular kings that have not yet received their power, but they will, and when they do, they'll give it to to the Antichrist for a short period of time. 
Um, this would line up with his final leading the world in rebellion against Christ as he amasses the population of the earth to try and stop Jesus at his coming. Of course, if you read chapter 19, 11 on, we see that that clearly does not go quite well for him. And, uh, and he's thrown into the lake of fire with the false prophet. And all of those who are with him are ultimately killed as Christ returns. So that being said, not that I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, lighthearted about the most destructive moment in all of human history, but I've just, um, you know, it's, it's, it does seem a foolish thing that the Antichrist would, um, would actually think that he could, uh, or that the people of the earth think they could actually stop the creator of the heavens and the earth from coming back to claim that which is his. Uh, Psalm 2 is another great uh, passage to read in this regard. So having said all of that, uh, who is Babylon? Well, uh, while on the one hand, as we said at the beginning, it's not hard to imagine uh, how it is that people might deduce that it's America because of our global prominence, our global presence, our footprint in virtually um, every um, avenue or economic stripe or any of these kinds of things in every area. We, we, we have basically some presence. Um, when it, uh, it's been said actually that our chief export is sin, you know, in terms of the kinds of media and, and entertainment and music, all these different kinds of things that, that America is known for. Uh, it is clearly something that could fit the description that is given here. However, um, America is not the only uh, and 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 frankly, there is a strong move already to sort of diminish America's influence in many regards, uh, in, in that others might rise to the top in that. And so I think as this continues to unfold, uh, especially in light of some of the other conversations we've had about, uh, again, just to touch a little further on that idea about our prominence sort of being curtailed as the days go on. This is true both economically. It's uh, you know as as we sort of join in with the global movement, uh, our our sort of sense of, again, prominence uh, becomes less so as we become part of this conglomeration of nations. Um, there, there's reason to think that it's not America that is specifically in view in Revelation chapter 18. It may appear so up to this point, at least, or, or up to recent days, but I think the move of America's supremacy being, uh, uh, being chipped away at and being minimized, um, uh, at least at this point, um, to me would speak to the idea that America is not the specific uh, uh, nation or entity in view. I think really, uh, personally, uh, I think it, it jives with, you know, the, the rest of what we've been reading and considering that in fact, uh, mystery Babylon is not um, one country per se, but rather the system that ultimately is overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly uh, taking on, um, uh, not just government and economics, but there is a very clear mindset that has changed globally among so many. Uh, we don't, we don't, let me put it this way. We are deeply affected by the spirit of the age on a level that I think is unparalleled in human history. And I think that is more what is, what is being spoken of here. Um, Babylon could be the rebuilt city of Babylon. It could speak to, potentially, it could be like Rome and that kind of thing. Rome, again, is a hub for not just religious influence, but also uh, geopolitical influence. But again, I think the picture is even larger than that. I think that the spirit of the age um, is really kind of more what's in view here. Uh, this, this sort of um, religious, economic, political 
coming together of the world in in rebellion against God, which has been the goal from the beginning. Uh, Again, if we go back to Genesis 10, I think that's really more likely what is in view here. Uh, and uh, and the beast is going to be sort of the vehicle by which all of these things ultimately come together under the auspices of one individual. Uh, so, uh, but again, when we read the passage, it would seem that a number of nations are involved in handing over power and all this kind of thing, and it would seem that there's sort of a much larger uh, influence that is influencing all of these nations rather than just simp- uh, trying to personify that into one nation. I, I'm not sure that's really what the text would be saying. Uh, again, like a lot of things that have to do with eschatology, there are differing opinions. We've mentioned some of them already, uh, and it may very well, very well be that you have a different opinion on that. You may not agree with what I'm saying here, and so you are certainly entitled to that, and we can um, you know, maybe interact on that a little bit. But uh, in any case, I would encourage you to go ahead and read uh, the passages, again, prim- primarily Revelation 17, Revelation 18, uh, Revelation 13, Daniel chapter 7 primarily. Um, Genesis 10, uh, again, the passages that we looked at, Genesis 11, uh, these would be uh, informative passages to consider as we um, as we try to understand what is in view when we get to chapter 18. In other words, I, I think even if America fell today, like right now, suppose uh, uh, America completely collapsed, I don't think we would be seeing necessarily the unfolding of what comes after that uh, when Babylon um, uh, ultimately is brought down. Um, Certainly heaven rejoices whenever sin is dealt with, you know, but uh, at the point we are in the book of Revelation in chapter 18, we are coming right up to the very edge of man's last stand uh, against God when Christ returns. And so I don't really think America is sort of the linchpin in that. I do think there's something much larger behind. Uh, I think we're really kind of in the area of principalities and powers and such at work globally, not just in a single nation. So we're part of it for sure. We certainly are part of that uh, Babylon system when it falls. After all, remember in chapter 11, verse 15, there is mention of how the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He speaks of it in such a way as to make it sound like it's a completely done deal, which it is from God's perspective. It's just that we'll see that unfold as we get toward the end of chapter 18 into chapter 19. So... um, so for what it's worth, there you go. That's my thoughts on that. And uh, I would encourage you again to read the passages yourself and uh, and and uh, arrive at the conclusion that you believe the text is leading. So thanks for asking the question, though, uh, Maria. I appreciate it very much. And if you have any thoughts or questions, you can share them on our YouTube channel in the comments section, uh, or you can email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, certainly love to, to, to interact and, uh, and, and a lot of the questions that come through eventually do sort of we address in this uh, format because I, as, as I've said probably a hundred times, I feel like if you're asking the question, it's probable that someone else is wondering too. And so it's probably worth sharing. So thank you very much, Maria. Appreciate it again. Father, we thank you and praise you for all the goodness and grace that you've shown us. I thank you that uh, one day you will wrap up human history and Christ will return and establish his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world will in fact fully become now the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Uh, What was once in disarray and then brought into unity under Antichrist will be put down and ultimately recreated, uh, reformed, as it were, into a singular uh, uh, government that Christ will rule over from Jerusalem. And there's so much about this that we're excited about and is just such a grand thing to look forward to. So thank you for this promise. And thank you, Jesus, for inviting us to pray for this kingdom to come and, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So 
We, um, we just ask that, Lord, you'd help us as we study your word to be encouraged, to be informed, to understand the days in which we're living, and to respond accordingly uh, by, by, by drawing close to you, uh, joining in fellowship with other believers as the world around us begins to coalesce in rebellion against you. And certainly, even as Jesus said, if they hated you, if they hated Jesus, certainly the world is going to begin to hate us as well. And so um, we would just pray that we would be spiritually ready for that as we draw close to you in these days. So thank you. We praise you again. We bless your great and awesome name. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.